lately I've been getting uh, some, it feels like regularly scheduled text messages from you. Um, they, they seem to come in right around the dinner hour. Um, so I know when yours comes through and I open it up and it just says one image, I know <laughs> what it is before I see it. I always look forward to it, but I notice they've been coming more frequently and then I feel like I have to counter. So these are images of, uh, of your dinners that you have made and that you have plated in a lovely fashion. Um, and then you send it to me to, I think, share, but also to get a little dig in about how good it looks because you, you, you know what you're doing. And then I feel like, oh, I need to show her what I'm making because I want her to, you know, feel the pain that I'm feeling as well. Um, it's this it's this healthy relationship that we have grown to establish over the course of the last 15 plus years or so. But yes, uh, I didn't know if you care to comment on on some of the, the wonderful things that you've been uh, creating in the kitchen of late. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's winter. It's cold and like in hibernation season. It's like I really don't want to do much more than eat. It's amazing to me with all the episodes that we've recorded and for how long we've been doing this, like how have we not had a food centric episode? Yeah. Because I, I love um, this thought that, you know, if you look at someone's search history, it might say something about you. Or if you look at their, um, like what comes up in their Instagram, like suggestions, it's what it says about you. But if you look at, if you were to look at Steve and I's, if you like go to your text messages and then click on the I button and you can see all the images that have been sent back and forth, it's like 90% food, uh, yes. which I feel like it's such a big part of our friendship, but like, it's not something that we really talk about much on the show. So with all the comfort food I've been making, I have been making some recipes from a site and an individual called Grossi Pelosi, also known as Dan Pelosi, who really is the king, I think, of of comfort food, comfort food and comfort you know, dining and, and community. He is a, a fellow Italian-American like we are. And uh, I was just really attracted to his brand because it makes me nostalgic for my childhood. And it just, he's a great winter brand to follow, I guess. I mean, all, all year long, but it's, it's really making the winter feel a little less great, even here in Florida. So we are thrilled that Dan was able to join us for a conversation about food and family and community and creativity. Uh, and we know that you guys are going to love this conversation. So pull up a chair and join us at the table. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Steve. And this is a podcast for creatives. Two friends talking about the complex, messy, and beautiful experience that is being a creative. Nobody from our generation ever said, I want to be an online content creator when I grow up. So... Could you please share the story of your creative beginnings? What did you want to be when you grew up? And what did you end up doing before the start of Grossi Pelosi, colon, the brand? <laughs> I always was like extroverted and always an oversharer. So in a way, I was sort of leading the charge. Um, <laughs> but I actually arrived to being uh, whatever this is quite late in my life. I'm almost 40. So... Um, which I guess is kind of maybe the best time of your life. I shouldn't say it's late, but some people are 12 and have YouTubes that make millions of dollars. So I've always been like a creative, I was a creative kid. I was always like doing art. I was always doing theater. I was always spending all my free time in the kitchen with my family, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, anyone who would let me sort of like hang with them and chop some vegetables or stir a pot or taste the marinara 13 times to make sure it was perfect. Um, I always lied and said it needed something um, so I could <laughs> taste it again. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be either like an artist or a chef. So um, I think I kind of have landed in sort of the middle middle ground of that, hopefully, because I think that what excites me about what I, what I do is that I think it has kind of a an interesting um, visual perspective. You know, after high school, I went decided to go to art school. I looked at culinary um, schools. Um, and I hate to admit this, but um, because I had so many body issues as a kid, I was afraid that I would just be like super obese if I went and became a chef. Like my mom told me that one of her friends like went to culinary school and like gained like 100 pounds or something ridiculous. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do that, which 
is horrible that, that that is what guided my decision. But I am glad that I went to design school um, because I think that that was a really important part of my life. And it led me up to about the past, you know, about a year ago when I left my full-time job as a creative director at Ann Taylor doing retail and experience design and working in retail design and architecture and um sort of experiential marketing for years. So that was what I really did. And cooking was sort of like something I did on the weekend. Yeah, it wasn't until two years ago that Grossi became the online presence that he is. I was always online, but no one knew <laughs> anything about me. <laughs> I think that's something everyone can, can, can you know, identify yeah. with at some point in time because there's a starting block at some point oh, in time. totally i mean yeah. for like for for like 10 years my friends were like why are you freaking out about getting the right shot like no one and i was like i had like you know i had like two thousand five thousand what i think i like before this all happened i was like maxed out at five thousand followers and i was like just pretending like i had a million followers because i was like this matters like what i'm putting out into the world i think matters so in a way i was sort of doing it without the big audience but whatever audience i had has always kind of felt important to me so wow what a great great approach and uh great piece of advice <laughs> i know i personally need to hear that I, I really struggle have always struggled with trying to balance i have so much that i want to share with like does anyone actually care about this and if no one cares like what is the point like is it worth it to still yeah. do it i think that you know now that i'm kind of like on the other side Side and have a large enough, a large following. I mean, it's like, you know, there are people who have much larger followings than I do, but I feel really good and like it's really healthy. And I feel really good about the fact that I just kept relentlessly sharing what I wanted to share because when, when the eyeballs found me, they knew exactly what I stood for. And I think that that is what has like just led me to people getting like whether or not they're going to stay with me or not. They know who I am and they know what I'm doing. What I love about um, these origin stories is is really kind of, you know, learning the roots of where someone comes from and the moments in their childhood or in their youth that that sort of helps sprout, you know, what you ultimately become one day. And you never kind of know when it hits. It's usually something that as you get older, you kind of think back on like, I remember this and maybe that was it. You know, maybe that was the foundation. And as we, as you were talking about this a couple of minutes ago, I could see myself back in, in my grandmother's kitchen or in, in my kitchen in my home growing up with yeah. my mom and dad. And, um, I, I fancy myself as an amateur cook, but at the same time, like it's never really been about the cooking as much as I love cooking. It's really about kind of the stories and all of these things oh. that were a part of those meals and, and all that stuff growing up. So I'm curious, like the drivers for you as, as, as a creator now, as, as someone who's creating and sharing in, an, in, in this more professional capacity, what were the drivers behind those decisions to start cooking and, and creating and ultimately sharing? So I think like I would always spend my free time as a kid in the kitchen at whether it was on nights or on the weekends, I was in my grandparents, my Italian grandparents basement kitchen, like watching them cook from the stairs. And then as I, you know, was in college, I was like with my mom on the weekends, like, you know, pretending to like bake chocolate chip cookies for boys. I like secretly had a crush on. Um, and that was just sort of like where I was energized and it was never stressful. I always was sort of taught to like make mistakes and just sort of really settle in in this space. Um, if you asked me to leave the house, I would have a freak and like, an anxiety attack. But like to stay inside and talk about food and cook and gather and have family meals was really great. So then I went to college and I spent a year in Rome on this independent study. And we had this like big kitchen and there was 30 kids. And I just became like the mama of the house. And so I was like going to the market in the morning and coming back with all this food and like cooking meals. And that really was like where I really developed into this sort of like, I was like, oh, I can like feed people and make them happy and, and give them like, make them part of this. I had people chopping and stirring and frying and doing all these things. And it was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so from that moment on, people sort of started, call, I sort of took on the mom, the momming of it. And people, all my friends were always like, you're the nurturer, you're like the center, you're kind of like this warm place. And so I always on the weekends via my Instagram would share my cooking, like sort of the way I do now. And then it wasn't until kind of like the end of 2019 when I had sort of a tough year. Um, it's hard to say that 2019 was a tough year. <laughs> but for me, 
sans pandemic, I suffered some losses in different areas of my life. And I was like, I need to do something. So I was like, I'm just going to like focus my Instagram on my food and really like cut out all the like photos of things I think are like whatever, like the sky and my selfies and just like post food, other people's food. I had all these friends who worked in food media. And I think that intentionally making that shift in the hopes that it might just like fulfill me a little bit, you know, just give me something to focus on um, creatively that that single decision and I really made it at my holiday cookie party because that's like my annual event that thinks brings everyone joy and is the like peak of my like bringing together bringing people together over food so that 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 really allowed me to by March of 2020 have an Instagram account that really was like about the food and the idea of creating food and cooking and I was really documenting it in a, in a teachable manner. Um, I was putting my recipes in my highlights, um, not knowing that a pandemic was coming, just doing it. Cause I was like, Oh, this is fun. You know? So yeah. Did, did that like, did you find yourself as much as it's something that you do? Did you find yourself drawn to maybe creating more during the height of the pandemic only because that's really what we had to, to, to look so, forward to or do yeah i mean the biggest most exciting unlock for me it's hard to say exciting um because the pandemic is awful but i sort of realized like this idea of living in lockdown is something that i've been doing my whole life <laughs> so i <laughs> and as italian americans you probably yeah. can like relate to that right like we were like stocking the pantry we were like <laughs> shopping the set we were like making sure we had meals for the week we were like making food we were eating leftovers like i am i can turn a leftover into like just 10 meals you know and so because i was like used to documenting my food adventures on the weekends and then suddenly i was working from home because i was like monday through friday i was eating out like i didn't i wasn't like cooking meals after work i was like gym work restaurant home you know and suddenly the day one of working from home i was like oh i can like make myself breakfast i can make myself lunch i can make myself dinner in between meetings so i just started documenting it like i would two days a week but seven days a week and people in new york city especially who mostly followed me and then around other places were like oh i don't have a home that i feel comfortable in because i never had to make one i never made myself food because i never had to I never stocked a pantry. I never fried an egg. I never spread mayonnaise on a piece of bread to make a sandwich. So these were like the things that I was just documenting. To me, I was like, oh, this is like no brainer stuff. But people were like, holy shit, like you are not a professional cook. You're what I, what I wish I was, which is like a home cook and someone who knows how to stay home. Like I just knew how to stay at home. And that was something that I learned and was able to share. And it seems wild, but I was able to help people get through the pandemic by simply my history of my life and my upbringing sort of colliding with a moment that we all were having universally. Yeah, what, so wonderful. What a weird thing to say, but is like true that like when the pandemic hit, like that was your moment, like everything you had been doing in your life was like yeah. leading to that. Leading to it. And I was able to, I, I, I don't feel like I capitalized on it. I, I feel like I was able to help people. And I was told that, from the beginning, like I was told that daily from people via messages saying like, thank you. And by, when people started saying thank you to me during this like horrible time, I was like, wow, this is giving me everything I ever needed to just keep doing this. And then I started, people were like, you know, and I have like a pretty heavy personality. And so I was also sharing that. And I think that made people feel sort of like, they would be like, you make me happy. You make me laugh. Like, thank you for being positive. And then they were like, where's the grossy merch? And I was like, you guys want merch for me? Like <laughs> that, that was the thing where I was like, okay, so like I'm 38. I know who I am. I'm not sacrificing myself for anyone. So I'm just sharing who I am. And people wanted to like wear my logo on a t-shirt. So I was like, I started my merch line, which went to charity. Cause I was like, I still had a full-time job and I was doing really well. I was making all the money I was making before, which was great. And I was like, I'm just going to raise money for LGBTQ elders, which was my sort of like charity that I decided to, cause they were, you know, super, super um, isolated before the pandemic, but we can talk about that later, but for many reasons. So I started raising money via product line and raised like, I think $14,000 in two months. It was like insane. And then I was like, people were asking so many questions about my highlight recipes that I was like, I need to launch a website. And for the first time in my life started writing recipes. So I launched my website in June of 2020. Um, 
with like 35 or 40 recipes on it, which then just sort of like everything just went went off from there. So wow. wild. Yeah. I love your site. I love your Instagram. And I think when I described you to Steve or your brand to Steve, I, I made a comment like, I feel like every time I see your content, like I'm being brought back to something in my childhood, like positive mm -hmm. things in my childhood. Steve and I both are fellow Italian Americans. So I mm -hmm. said, I feel like I'm going to like a communion or, or a christening. Cause like you make all Absolutely. of those foods all those that things. like we knew we could depend on when we showed totally. up to one of those events. Those, those shoot, those cookies were at every party. <laughs> yes. Like, that's what I always say. I'm like, she was like the one guest you could count on, you know? And you know, and, and so I think, and I'm lucky because like, I still, you know, I have my grandfather who's 99, who I called so much during the pandemic. And I still do to be like, tell me again, how you would make that. And like, then I would call my mom and then I would call, I call them the Carolyn's and the Maryland's who are like, <laughs> the aunts who aren't really your aunts or like your cousins who you call your aunt or like, yeah. you know, there's 40 Maria's and then you're just like, <laughs> but everyone makes the same thing, but different. So I sort of loved sharing that whole kind of craziness. And I write these little sort of small intros and then I just kind of simply gave the recipe. And I really designed my website for those women because they wanted access to it. And people would be like, I really want to show that share this recipe with my mother, but she's not on Instagram and she, but she would love you. And it just like sort of all made sense. And I use those like Mother's Club, you know, cookbooks as like my inspo, which are like, there's five lasagna recipes in every one of them. Cause you couldn't yeah. tell five, the five Maria's that their lasagna recipe wasn't the lasagna recipe for the book. So then you have five lasagna recipes and they're all off by like a quarter, like ounce of oregano. Um, it's just, it's like, it's my heaven. Like I live in that world. And I think that people kind of get that from me. And I think I was also able to take like my learned aesthetic and my natural aesthetic, which is like bright and colorful and optimistic. And I have this apartment that I've like really, it's been like shot by Domino and I've like made this sort of world for myself. Plus the like Nana in me, plus my like modern friendships and modern food, like all the things like that I could sort of like know and understand by being a human is sort of like in tune to like food media, but was never part of it. Um, so it's just wild. Like it's all just like come together. Yeah. It's like a fantastic art project, like brought to life, like your whole, your whole thing. Yeah. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's really wild. And like, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And like the other day I was shot by a magazine and they had like a photographer and a food stylist. And like, I think the Fitz food stylist was kind of like, what do you like? I was like, just make, like make my recipe. Like, I want to see what you do. Like, I want to like, I want to learn from you. Like I wasn't being lazy, but I was like, this is an amazing opportunity for me to like put my recipe into someone else's hands. Like I can't eat another one of these things. I've made a million trying to nail the yeah. recipe. So like, and he made it look so beautiful. And the photographer just like did his thing. And they used all my props that I had in my apartment, but I was just like, I almost was like crying. Cause I was like, wow, you just took what I'm doing, made it feel like me, but elevated it. And I could just like feel, I just feel like everything is getting bigger and better but still staying like rooted in what i love so it's cool you know so when it comes to cooking and sharing recipes and sharing content what's your creative style how would you describe you know what it is you do that you do how did you know do you do a lot of planning do you prefer to kind of just let it fly uh how do you approach your work um there's a lot there's a lot of different um ways that I do it. I started by just sharing the things that I love and all the things that I ate and like I've, I had already previously kind of like made a million times. And the, the job was really to be like, what are the measurements to my meatballs? Like I've never in my life measured a single thing. So for a lot of my, like probably like first 75 or 80 recipes were that. And then once I started like turning this into a job, people would be like, Oh, do you, do you want to do a recipe for us? Can you do something that involves like, Duke's mayonnaise. So then I would have to like authentically think of ideas that still felt part of my world, but had to use like these other products. So a lot of what I do now is like, is searching kind of like through a different lens that isn't always my own, but like really collaborating with brands that I feel really good about. I'm very lucky that I say no to most people who want to work with me. 
um, and the ones that I am working with, I feel very like connected to. And so a lot of times now I, I'm almost like an in-house, I feel like I'm an in-house creative agency where brands will come to me. I'm going to give myself a little bit more credit, but that is where my history is, right? Like I was a creative director for years. I worked with brands. I created experiences for brands. So I can really easily speak to in-house people at brands, understand what they need, and then throw contact back at them. And they're like, this is grossy, but it works for us. And that is the best. So I'll only work with brands who want me to give them grossy content, but with their brand included. So it's more about like, welcoming them into my world and I think that has been a challenge but it always freaks me out like I'm always like I can't think of another recipe like I just can't even do it and then once I get over the sort of anxiety I immediately am like okay this is what I would actually do and it's the thing that's right in front of me you know like KitchenAid asked me to do a video and they were like you need to make something savory with our stand mixer and I was like I made a list of all these ideas (laughs) and then I was like there was like all of those ideas and there was like calzones and I was like, Oh, like obviously I'm doing the calzones. <laughs> like, I was like, that's too simple or too. And I was like, no, but that's like what people want from me. They want a calzone. They don't want like, I forget what the ideas were, but they were just like so complicated. So yeah, like just really simple, easy comfort food, nostalgic stuff, I think is kind of the lens. Um, but it's definitely gotten more complicated um, as I try to, develop more and more recipes. And the thing that's really interesting is like, I find that people aren't just here for the recipes, you know, there's so much more that they want from me. And so I'm trying to actually focus more on the other stuff and less on the recipes right now. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I think that example is good when you're talking about the calzone, because you might have had a list of a few other things, but you totally. went with with what you felt was most appropriate for your your audience, mm-hmm. which is exactly what what a brand is, what they expect, right? So that's yeah. what you ultimately want to deliver. Yeah. Is it? Do you ever get to a point where you want to do something that's outside of that, maybe, and you you're looking for a way to expand, or is it easier for you to just say, no, this is who I am, this is what I'm comfortable with, and this is what I'm going to go forward with, and that's that's fine. I have to say, like, I'm not afraid to go outside of my comfort zone, um, but I'm really lucky that I haven't had to in a way that's been like forced or painful like no one's asking me to you know like even like I work with Fonza Pasta which is like a gluten-free pasta company that's made out of chickpeas but you know like my mother is gluten-free and so we make gluten-free pasta a lot so like a lot of I I was talking to people and I was like is it going to be like weird if I work with a gluten-free pasta company because I'm I don't like for a minute, I was like, is it about like dieting or limiting yourself? And then I was like, no, it's actually about like accessibility. Like mm-hmm. if people see me as like a, a pasta king, <laughs> which I say is like a joke, but you know what I mean? Right. Pasta is my number one performing thing. Like if I post <laughs> a photo of pasta, it's going to do better than anything else. So I like feel like people are invested in my pasta adventures. <laughs> so many people have thanked me for working with Bonza because they feel confident now in eating pasta, even if it doesn't have gluten in it. They're like, okay, if you're eating it, I feel good about it. And I'm like, wow, like how fucking cool is that? Like the, the, all the like classic pasta companies, like they're fine. Like they're good. Like everyone knows you can eat those. I love them. But to like help people who feel cut off from a, from pasta, be able to eat it. I'm like, oh, there's some power in that. So yeah. it was cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is. In many ways, it's very Italian. You're bringing people to a table, right? Totally. I mean, like, it, and and totally. you're feeding them, and they're yeah. a part of something. I think what's so interesting to me is like the people's mindsets around food. Um, people who are like, will DM me, be like, oh, I wish I could eat pasta, but I just found out I'm gluten free, and I'm like, are you joking? <laughs> like, there's a, there's like. I'm like, there's so there's more gluten-free pasta brands out there now than there are like with like glutenous pastas, and so I think it just like helping people like let it making it click is like something that I love, you know? Yeah. So it's cool. So we started something new. I'm usually going to you with ideas, so I think I was so excited that I barely listened to what you said, and I was like, you know what? Sure, let's do it. Could have said anything right there at that point in time, couldn't I? Michelle and I grew up in the 90s, and we've noticed, I think, over the years that a lot of the uh, references that we end up dropping in our podcast end up coming from that period in our childhood. We were a TV generation, so 
we remember a lot of these offbeat commercials and a lot of these things that um, were a part of our childhood. And I thought it would be fun to kind of like look back at them. We don't really watch commercials anymore in, in this day and age. You know, ads are usually something that we're doing anything that we could possibly do to skip over. Funny commercials or, or commercials with memorable jingles have stayed with us over the years. Uh, and this platform, this this commercial breakdown show gave us the opportunity to bring some of them back and, you know, relive a few of these moments with, with all of you and, you know, reflect fondly on them. So if you get a chance, go into one of our pod for creative social profiles or go to our website and look for commercial breakdown which is the name of our show i time this it takes literally four seconds of your time subscribe to our youtube channel and hit that thumbs up button if you have a friend or a sibling or someone um, that you remember talking to about the commercials that that we're showcasing certainly anywhere where you can share it we would really appreciate it so we've just been talking about pasta let's switch gears onto the very important topic of sauce um which you know steve kind of alluded to that he's he's had several of these like ongoing debates about food with friends and i know i'm not the only one that he has this debate with not just how we make our sauce, but what we call it. Because he uh-huh. calls, his family calls it gravy, which is yeah. clearly wrong. So it's not a surprise that he has this debate with so many people. <laughs> Are we doing this now? <laughs> Are we doing this now? I have to tell In front you something. Of company. You're, you're, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to leave this conversation satisfied with my answer. But. <laughs> That's okay. I've learned long ago to stick to my principles and respect others. So it's fine. <laughs> I just mean that I'm not going to pick a side, but okay. yeah, 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 yeah. that's fine. So let's, we don't have to talk about what we call it. Let's just talk I, about Dan. How do you, how do you make yours? What's your, like your go-to? Cause every, every Italian makes it different. So we call it modernade, Okay. but I will say that I believe that it can be called, you can call it whatever the fuck you want. And I think that it, it is valid. I think that the idea, something I have learned through this the past few years is that people are obsessed with invalidating food. And I think that that's psychotic and I won't stand for it. And I'm not like telling you, Steve, to like, you know, you're wrong, but I'm just saying like, you can call it gravy because it's your gravy and that's what you call it. Like sure. I always tell people who are like, I made this thing and I, and I like, I, don't, I didn't think it turned out right. And I'm like, well, did you eat it? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, great. You made food. Like, <laughs> congratulations. Like if you are eating what's in front of you and you made it, like you just cooked. So I just think that like that idea of like, this is called that and not that I get those comments all the time. And I try to tell people like, just like, stop <laughs> you know i mean i get between like close friends it's like super fun but really like it, there's so much so much bigger issues with like food access like ingredient qualities like people in like different areas of like cities countries worlds having like good fresh ingredients um that i don't think we need to worry about whether it's called gravy or marinara but that's just me i'll stop now okay so my marinara so my marinara So when I moved to San Francisco after college in 2005, I was the first time in my life that I was homesick. And I realized that like, I missed sort of having the smell of marinara. It's like the best scented candle in the world. Like it's like, it is sort of like what smelled like home. So I went to town sort of creating my own marinara recipe, which is the one that's, that is Grossi's marinara on my website. And, you know, like I said, everyone in my family made it differently. So I, um, I definitely use fresh tomatoes and canned tomatoes, which a lot of people, some people are like, no fresh tomatoes. Some people are like, how dare you as an authentic Italian use canned tomatoes? And I'm like, what? Like, huh? (laughs) So, um, yeah, I do that. I do red wine. I do, I do red onions, which throws people all the time. I love the way the red onion tastes. I get questioned all the time by people about that one. Um, I do a little bit of red wine in there. Um, I suggest adding a little sugar at the end if your tomatoes aren't sweet enough. Like I'm probably doing all the things that everyone like, you know, is like what, but I think that marinara should be like a little bit on the sweeter side. I think it should be, I like it to be chunky, but I also say you can easily put it in the blender, make it smooth. And I like to have some, some of that texture of the fresh tomato in there. Do you do any herbs? I do. I do oregano, dried oregano and fresh basil. Mm. 
yeah. I'm yeah. just always, I'm always fascinated. Like in my family, I can like recall in my, in my memory, like what every, every person who cooks, what their sauce tastes like. And yeah, like, we, absolutely. we were all coming from the same family, but like we all make yeah. it differently totally and they're all which good. Amazing. Well, which is why we can eat it five days a week. If we go to Maria, <laughs> one, two, three, four, and five, <laughs> like this is, this is a totally different meal. Like, what do you mean? Right? Like I had, you know, I didn't have this last night. Um, and I also think that marinara is one of the very few things that every time you make it, you really, it's a different journey. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many things like what are your, to- what kind of tomato did you grab? What does that feel like? Like what's your canned tomato brand? I don't like, I do try and stick to certain brands here and there, but I love to explore. Like if I'm in a different town or a city, like I'll grab the local tomato my doorbell sorry (laughs) um situation so just to kind of try it out it's like a whole different journey so it's fun and then you talk about adding meatballs to it or adding meat to it that takes it to a different place it's like a whole different thing so on uh on the day that we're recording this uh where where i am right now it is four degrees um so obviously in the in the heart of winter um Mm -hmm. let's talk about your favorite foods at the moment for the time of year that we're in. If you were throwing a dinner party tonight, uh, what would you what would you serve? Definitely, I would say like I'm really in a shkadal and beans phase or a pasta fazul. Like any of those like soupy beanie pastas, brothy beans are delicious. That would be huge. My dinner party go tos are really kind of like all my marinara recipes though, because I always have marinara in the freezer. You should always have some in the fridge and you should always have some on your stove. It's like the Holy Trinity. Um, and those <laughs> having marinara on the ready can allow you to make chicken parm, eggplant parm, stuffed shells, meatballs. Like you can just go ham and like, there's nothing better to showing up to like a winter dinner party, plopping down like a big thing of like eggplant parm, a nice salad, some garlic bread. And you're just like, you don't want anything else, you know, some yeah. wine or some, whatever else you want to drink like to me that's the go-to and that's what i try and tell people um they're also great because like they're not you can make them all ahead you know which i right. love so right i feel like that's yeah. also my my go-to anytime i'm like entertaining you know i want everything to, to be perfect so i'm not going to mess around with a new recipe i'm going to make the thing that i've made like a thousand times before oh, that are just you know feels yeah, natural I- I, I actually tell people that too. I'm like, find a couple things. Don't try a new, don't try a new recipe when you're having people over. Um, but I know that not everyone likes to spend as much time in the kitchen as I do. Like I am always in my kitchen. Um, so it is kind of like a more of a pressure cooker moment. Um, not literally, but figuratively when you're having people over, you know, and that's why I'm like, just do the, do the, the easy stuff, you know? I tend to do the same thing. Like when we have family over for the, for holidays or we have friends over for, for different gatherings, you know, when you're planning it, it's always like, yeah, we'll just, you know, a couple of small, whatever, small dishes and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm getting closer, like this list starts getting bigger of all these things that you want to do. And then by the time the day comes, I'm stressing out and, and you're just like, I should have just stick stuck to my guns. And (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Every year at Thanksgiving, I like run the Thanksgiving show, even though my father is like, I host Thanksgiving. I'm like, it's in, it's in your home, but like, <laughs> I'm actually hosting it. He, hopefully he will never hear that, but. Um, we can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, every year at Thanksgiving, like we're always like, let's do less this year. Like we're gonna do less. And we, I like the let's do less mentality lasts until like the very day before. And I just like, I'm like, I got to make all this, like, <laughs> end up with all this stuff. And I'm like, Ugh, what am I doing? It never works. You know, no, I agree with that. And, and it's just unnecessary stress. Do you all have the antipasto like at the beginning of everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That has been my uncle Phil who passed away a couple years ago. I was like raging mad at him for like the last three years of his life for Thanksgiving. Cause I would be like, do not bring a fucking like antipasto to Thanksgiving. We don't need it. Like Bimpy can't have salt and he just eats the ham. Like we can't like, yeah. it just doesn't work. And now of course that he passed away, 
I'm like, we have to have an antipas for Uncle Phil. Like, we, it's his antipas. Like, you know, I'm like, Kwanza Ma's like, oh, Uncle Phil would want this. Like, it's like, oh my God. The evolution, too, of like meals and families, too, because so many things change over the years, but so many things stay the same for tradition's sake. And, um, you know, our family dynamic and how we do dinners in our in our home has sort of changed over the years just with the growth of families and, you know, yeah, people yeah. moving away and whatnot. But this past Christmas, you know, my dad came up and one of the things that we'd always realized the last few years was like, it's hard to have, you know, the antipast and then like break for 30 minutes and then go straight into a lasagna or like you yeah, just yeah. You can't do it. So in my planning this year, I was like, we're going to do it. You guys come. We're going to change things up like you guys come over around like 11 a.m. We'll do lunch. We'll hang out in the afternoon and then in the evening we'll do, you know, a big ziti or whatever we decided yeah, to yeah. kind of bring to the table. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, this is going to work perfectly. Well, he apparently forgot about it because it was about 3.30 yeah. and I start to put things together for the big ziti. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, we're having dinner. He goes, oh, there's more? I went, we did this for this exact purpose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, how did you forget this now? <laughs> yeah, my, my boyfriend came to our family Thanksgiving for the first time this year because it was our first year together. And I was like, okay, here's what's gonna happen. Like, we're gonna eat at one o'clock. There's gonna be four courses. By five o'clock, we're having leftovers. So we're eating the entire thing again. And he was like, and he was excited because he's like, he, he loves to eat, but he was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. I was like, oh yeah, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be like anything you've ever experienced. <laughs> and as much as there's so much consternation around it, when it's all over with, you can't wait to do it again. Like there's no other, like you really like, you just look forward to that next opportunity. I've just fully given in. Cause I went through like a, like I said, I went through kind of like a period of rage. Like this is like crazy. And now I'm like, fuck it. Like Bimpy's 99. Like I'm not gonna not give him all the stuff. Like my dad, it's just, he gets just destabilized if we don't have like ravioli in between the antipas, the, the stuffed mushrooms, the shrimp cocktail, and then the turkey. So yeah. it's like, uh, it's hysterical. So I want it to be Thanksgiving again. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like coming up on, I'm going to go ham for Valentine's day. It's going to be really obnoxious. So get ready. Oh, um, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm planning all of that. So yeah, it's going to be good. All right. Let's move back to get back to business. Yes. Can you share one of your favorite experiences that has come as a result of, of this business explosion? You know, it's funny because I've always referred to myself as like a Pinterest mom. Like I love, I just like love a lady who loves Pinterest. I feel like she's my girl. She's my girl. Like you'll see it when I, we get to Valentine's Day and you like around the holidays. Like I just like go, I love it. I think it's hysterical. I think it's super fun. I think it's totally valid. I think Valentine's Day can mean whatever you want, but are we making heart-shaped chicken Parmesan? We absolutely are. So, <laughs> so I actually, in August of 2020, only like, you know, five or six months after Grossi became like a thing, Pinterest called me and was like, it's Pinterest. Like, do you want to work with us? And I was like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> so they were like, we would love to, we want to talk to you and your team. And I was like, okay, there is no team. <laughs> right. Let me get them. <laughs> like, it is a total gag that people think I'm so much further along in this than I actually am. Like, it's crazy. Um, and that's wild. But yeah, so they made me one of their like branded Pinterest creators and started like paying me to make content and brought me in on all their things. I was in one of their campaigns. They give me early access to all their things. They named me their like creator of the year in ad week last year or last year, like just like crazy stuff. And I was like, wow, like, okay. So like, just to be like recognized, it's like, you know, Pinterest is wild. Cause like to be able to talk to people at Pinterest <laughs> when you're like, you know, begging anyone at Instagram to pay attention to you, like at Instagram who works there. Like I can't get verified on Instagram. Like it's just impossible. Like it's never going to happen. But Pinterest, verified me immediately they were like we'll give you a verified account like blah 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 i was like okay you guys like get it you're humans like we love it but yeah it was just wild so that was lovely and i love working with them and i've built a really good community over there so it's nice again just one one more thing that feels like it's just such a perfect fit for you and natural <laughs> to like to to be seen by like the brands like i have worked with like Kitchen KitchenAid, like whole foods Duke's mayonnaise like these are all brands that I've like loved forever and to be seen and approached by them is like holy cow you know it makes all the other people who approach me who I've like never used their product 
it, you know, it makes it a lot easier to say no to them because I'm mm-hmm. like, I have authentic great brands who want to work with me, which is like unbelievable. I'm so grateful for it. What I love is just how humble you are about like wh- where you are in your career and the opportunities that, you know, you've been afforded because of, of your work and who you are as a human being. And um, it just it just radiates off of you. And it, for someone who's had so many great experiences on, on different projects um, up to this point, is there is there still something like on your wish list? Is there a project or something that you, you, you want to achieve? You know, for years and years and years, I've always just been like, I want to be the next Ina Garten, which is like kind of what every gay who's ever cooked a single meal <laughs> has ever said out loud. And so, like, you know, I never thought that any of this was going to happen, which is great because it just means that I never needed it to happen. So, like, if everything stopped, I would be like, shit, I have to find a job, but also, like, grateful, right? And I try and bring that energy to everything. But if I were to go in the opposite direction, be completely immodest and just shoot for the stars, like, it would be amazing to be, like, a really strong presence around, like, um, lifestyle and food and comfort and generational sharing to as many people as possible. So that would sort of be the goal. I love sharing what I share and I love the connection that people get because I'm continually amazed by what people get from what I put out there. And so if I can just keep doing that and scaling it and still feeling really authentic and good about it, that would be amazing. I've spoken to a lot of people who've approached me who work like in the industry and they all, you know, are, are some, there's some pretty significant people who have really long careers. And they, t- if someone can like, like that can tell me what I'm doing to my face and it's right, like it's what I believe I'm doing, that is like the biggest compliment, you know? Because it's, I mean, it's just as big of a compliment as when last holiday this girl messaged me and said her grandmother died and went to, went to her grave with her recipe for her Italian holiday cookies, and now my recipe was her grandmother's recipe. That was also a really big compliment, but they're two very different things. Like, that, I was, like, sobbing. Like, I was, like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. So there's, like, the very, like, non-industry, just, like, person-to-person, like, like I am now part of your family in this way. That's, like, very important. But I also think, because I was never in this industry professionally, to have people who have been for years kind of be, like, I see what you're doing and I understand it without me having to explain it just by watching what you're watching is like kind of blows my mind, yeah. you know, That's like beautiful. I'm a pretty, I'm learning. I'm a pretty easy read, which is cool. I don't want to be a mystery. <laughs> As a precursor to this, you mentioned um, the organization that you raised money for. Is that Sage? I heard you yeah. speak about this on another Sage. podcast. It's just yeah. so incredible. So maybe you could kind of tie this into this question, which is, why do you think that cooking and sharing meals is so important? You know, I think that it's where I was able to connect with my family growing up and where I was able to, like, meet my, you know, meet everyone on sort of, like, an even playing field. My uncle, Tony, who was um, hysterical, he had this saying that was, Nasuno which means no one gets old at the table. And that is this idea that time just like literally stops, right? Like we're sitting down for a meal and like you do not have to rush. You can really kind of like dig in and enjoy yourself. And when you get up from the table, time starts again. And so I just think it's like such an important place to like stop and have conversations to get to know people. And I just think that that idea is like amazing. And actually the organization that I work with, Sage, the reason why so Sage raises money for LGBTQ elders, which is a community that's two times less likely to have a partner and four times less likely to have kids. So they are just like kind of an isolated community. So during COVID, I was like, we have to, someone has to shine a light on them. And I would love to be one of those people who can. And I think what, the reason why I was introduced to them is that they have an annual dinner party that's like across the country and it's called Sage Table. And the idea is that younger LGBTQ people and older LGBTQ, oh my gosh, you get what I'm trying to say? Yes. (laughs) They are invited to someone's home, thousands, different hundreds of people's homes across the country on the same night, and there's a dinner party. Whatever you want to put on the table, whatever you can do, but the idea is that like the connection and and the conversation that happens 
over that dinner creates relationships between elders and younger LGBTQ people. And those relationships that are formed are natural relationships that sustain both communities throughout the year. So they have this huge event that's rooted in exactly what I love, which is like conversation and relationships that are formed at the table. Um, and so to be able to, during a period when they had to shut down all of their in-person activities, to be able to raise, um, since April 2020, we've raised like $45,000 wow. through all the different things that I've done with my grocery people, um, which has been great. And so much of that money has gone to food delivery, which is incredible because these are people who just sometimes can't leave the house because of COVID. So it really all kind of comes back to the dinner table, which is why I built a 10 foot long <laughs> dinner t dining table in my apartment. I can fit 14 people at, and I haven't really been able to have dinner parties myself in a long time. But um, yeah, I just think that that's really kind of the heart of it all. So uh, I just had like a, a visual <laughs> like of, of like, you know, how just that long table like represents you that you know you're you're welcoming that and that there's always a oh, seat yeah. for for everyone totally and i think that's so much of like what i try and communicate to people is like you are welcome here no matter what your experience or whatever your thoughts or ideas are um but yeah it's been really great and i think sage is just such a beautiful organization and really thinking about a generation that's been now going through their second global pandemic. Like these people already survived AIDS and watched most of their friends die and they survived that. And now in their old age, they are isolated and going through COVID. So it's just like, yeah, it's a lot. We'll um, be sure to include a, a link to the organization in, in the show notes and on social media or we'll, we're excited to help support you support and, them. And if people are new to me, I do sell merchandise and my This Too Shall Pasta t-shirt is my main way that I raise money. I'm not selling merchandise right now. I sell it in collections throughout the year. So um, they can keep an eye out for that as well. But you can directly just donate through my Instagram, through my website, and also through Sage directly. I, all those are just links to their site. So Awesome. Um, so... We're, we're almost done here. I guess the last thing that, that we wanted to, to pose to you is, um, you know, you have a lot of people who you had talked before about, you know, if you make something and you've eaten it, you've cooked. Yeah. Some people have that hesitancy to try. What advice would you give someone who wants to do more creative cooking or even just get involved in, in, in cooking um, this year? Um, I think it's like you're going to fuck up, and that's the fun part. Like, they're... The idea that there's like a perfection in cooking is I think anti-cooking. I think that you, like the other day I burnt my toast and I was like, I actually love burnt toast. So like, I, 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 I was like kind of happy, you know? So like there's moments of joy in all of the things that you're gonna create. And like, you kind of have to know when something doesn't taste good so that you know when something does taste good and like, I get, I've been confronted with so many anxious and nervous people when they're trying to cook. And I just say like, just, just go for it, like do it. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? You're probably not gonna make something inedible. You might make it not taste amazing, but like my vodka sauce, like thousands of people, I'm so lucky have made it. And I know that they've, their end result for them has probably been widely different than it is for me and other people, but like the end result isn't to like make the exact same thing as someone else. It's to like put everything you have into what you're making. And that's what it tastes like. It's really, it's, it's interesting because you know, the idea of writing recipes, I think is kind of bullshit. Like, I'm like, I just want to give you sort of like a guideline because you really should have room to kind of like play around, but not everyone loves that. So, <laughs> right. It is, it is funny. You have people who are, are very much like textbook followers for recipes because they don't want to do anything more than the cup and a half of something yeah. that, that the recipe yeah. calls for. And then you have sort of the like, uh, okay, it's a little bit more, okay. I can make up for it later. Like you talked about with the, you know, like adding sugar at the end of it's a little bit too yeah. bitter. Like, you know, like, yeah, it's like, that, taste that sort it. of like stop along yeah. the way I get, you know, there's people who bake 
my, you know, I just posted this banana bread or I post like I make it and I'm like, you, you like my recipe says bake for 45 minutes, but like you gotta, like, I don't know if that's what your bake time is going to be. Like, I just don't know. So like, look at it, check in on it. Like give it, you know, give it a little love along the way. Like people will be like, it's not done at 45 minutes. And I'm like, Okay, so put it like put it back in the oven like they're like oh you can do that and I'm like ah um but I'm actually really blessed to have a a big big chunk of my following telling me that like your recipe is the first like thing I've ever baked or I've never made dinner before and I made your vodka sauce for my boyfriend and like what like it was incredible so it's like I'm a good like starter place for people I think because my shit's not really complicated so I hope we are incredibly grateful for the time and the enthusiasm that you brought to this conversation I mean oh yeah yeah this was such a treat and such a great way for us to kick off this uh podcast season so well I'm so grateful for you for asking me to join I love to talk about myself Um, (laughs) and I love to (laughs) um, no I just think that it's you know I will forever be grateful that any like a single person is interested in what I'm doing much less you know almost 100,000 which is crazy if any of our listeners wants to connect with Dan on social media Instagram is the best place to find him you can find him at Grossi Pelosi and You can also check out all of his recipes at danpelosi.com. We will link to his Instagram, his website, uh, Sage, which is the organization that Dan supports, uh, along with Pinterest in our show notes that you can find at apodcastforcreatives.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at pod4creatives and let us know which stood out to you. Where are you, uh, the two of you? You're, you're not a couple. No. We're not a couple, and uh, we are not in the same room either. Uh, are you in no. the same city? No. No, not even close. I'm in, uh, I'm in upstate New York in, uh, outside of Albany. Okay. And, uh, well, Michelle's outside of, just outside of Jacksonville in Florida. Yeah. Oh, cool. But we, uh, wow. we went to college together in, um, in, in Albany. So, and we both grew that. up, like, in the... Uh, I grew up in Rockland County and Steve grew up in, uh, in Orange County. So. Oh, Rockland County. I love that. <laughs> it's a glamorous I place. I, I have a few people who I used to work with who are from Rockland County. And I was like, oh my gosh, they were hysterical. Like just loved, like, I have no idea if this is like, you know, even close to everyone there, but they were like such hardcore partiers. Like, oh my God, that's not me know. at all. <laughs> No, I know it's not you. I know that's happening. I was like, what's going on at Rockland? Like, people are like getting like wasted. Like, they would come into work like super functionally, like hungover. And I was like, good for you. I can't even drink a drop of alcohol. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, that was like just happened to be about Rockland. I know it's not like everyone there, but no, it that you know that that somewhat checks out. But I think Steve and I both. Our families are both from Westchester, so I feel like we ha- we both have a lot of Westchester energy oh, more than like I, I identify as like yeah. more Westchester than Rockland. I think in my yeah, soul. I love a Westchester. <laughs> I, drop, I drop I drive through Westchester all the time when I go home to Connecticut, and I and I worked with a lot of people from Westchester too, and they were lovely. So can't go wrong anywhere. But yes. um, right. all right, well this is so fun. Keep me posted, and um, I'll see you in the DMs. Sounds good. Take care, Dan. It was nice meeting you. Nice to meet you, too. Bye-bye.